Good afternoon, everybody. My name is, is Robert. I'm one of the elders. And you'll be like, oh, Robert, you don't even look like an older. But um, praise the Lord, I take it. Um, but I think, I think me, apart from, I think there's only two people older than me here. In the bit, oh, maybe three. Uh-oh, can I get a four? Okay, I'm not one of the oldest. I'm one of them, but not the oldest. Praise the Lord. Well, welcome if you're joining us. We're in a series. Are we ready to go? We're in a series that's called Doctrine. Doctrine. And um, should I do it now? I might forget later. We have a, a book that is, that is associated with the series. And we're encouraging everybody to grab a copy. I just got a... Uh, I just was shown some love from... I'm trying to see where Kian is. Kian come up and said to me, Oh, Uncle Rob, the book's heavy. You know what I'm saying? In terms of... Um, just helping to understand um, as, as, whether you're aware or not personally, I'm sure you've to some degree understood that the Bible can be quite a complicated book. And not least of all, because it's got some, I mean, it's a big book with big words in it. And so this is a little book of big words and it, and it, and it works in conjunction with our series, a little series of big words. Now, I think I probably need to pray now um, because I think if I get into it, I may forget at some point and I understand my need so desperately. So nice to see some, some old faces, some new faces, some old faces. I just had a chat. Oops. Lord, we commit our time to you this afternoon. I say this afternoon. We've already been spending time with you and how wonderful it has been. We're already feeling enriched and blessed. Thank you for Josephine and Yele, and thank you, Lord, for the whole family and all that are associated with the raising of this new child that's coming to our village, Lord, that's coming to our community. And we thank you and praise you, Lord, for the, for the amazing grace that you show to us. We're so undeserving, and because we understand that, Lord, we are really grateful. I want to say thank you. And Lord, would you continue to bless us now? Um, by challenging us, by encouraging us through your word and allowing the rest of our day, Lord, to be just further consumed by your goodness. Thank you. We commit ourselves to you, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Amen. So, <clears throat> doctrine. Three of the things that Warren Wiersbe mentions about doctrine that contributes to helping us are these. Number one. <clears throat> doctrine helps us to understand who God's people are. Number two, doctrine helps us to understand what God has done for said people, his people. And number three, doctrine <clears throat> shows us what God expects from his people. Now, over the past seven weeks, we've been looking at some of these big words, right? So, we looked at that which is described as right standing before God. What is that? I mean, it's up on the board. You can't get it wrong, right? That which is described as right standing with God, justification. How about that which describes a person being brought into the family of God? All right, watch this. How about the satisfaction of God's anger? And simultaneously, the provision of his blessing. What's that? Aha! All right, then. See me trying to be smart. 
Amen. That's propitiation. Regeneration, on the other hand, is to be born again or the new birth. That's regeneration. We need to understand these words. How about set apartedness and then progressive sanctification? God sets you apart and then he begins to progressively change you. What's that? Sanctification. Amen. <laughs> How about the bringing together of two opposing parties? Reconciliation. We heard that last week, right? Reconciliation. Um, and which one did I miss out? To, to, to have credit to your already well overdrawn account. <laughs> Imputation. Amen. And then the act of intervening on the behalf of another is our topic for today in a session. Now, many of these, and you probably heard it even as we just summarized them, many of these actually complement and even sometimes overlap each other. You know what I'm saying? Like this week's and next week's. So what are we doing next week? I wonder if anyone knows. All right then, Parson. Jeez. Mediation. And it's not even Pastor Edith's preaching. It's, it's, Ber it's, it's Bertram, right? Wherever he is. Just a reminder, just in case you forgot. <laughs> right, that's a joke I can't share with you. Um, <clears throat> not to do with Bertram, by the way. Um, it's all to do with me and my own sinfulness and short-sightedness. And like my mum would say, slacky-tidiness. But anyway, as I said, many of these complement one another. And... Um, <clears throat> Intercession and mediation can seem very, very similar if you think about the two words. I mean, I, don't give, I haven't given you much time to think about it. But intercession and mediation are very close, but there is a distinction. And um, Bertram will hopefully unpack further the distinction. I'll just highlight it. Um, <clears throat> in intercession as a noun pretty much describes... The intervening um, or the intercession as an act between two parties, right? It's intervening. It's not mediating. There's a difference. It's the intervening. And as a verb, um, to mediate is to actually resolve the differences where um, that is a much bigger job than intercession. Um, with reference to God, um, we can intercede on behalf of a person, but we cannot mediate on the behalf of a person, at least from a, a biblical point of view. According to the Bible, how many mediators are there? There's only one. So the mediation can't be my job in one sense, right? Because there's only one media, mediator between God and man, and it's the man, Christ Jesus. But how many of you... How many of you, how do I ask this? How many intercessors are there? They're supposed to be buried them in this room. You know what I'm saying? As believers, as Christians, because we are all supposed to be intercessors, right? Now, in terms of intercession, let me just tell you a little story. Oh, dear. Let me tell you a little story about something that happened to me just this week. It was on Friday. And um, was it Friday or was it Thursday? Thursday or Friday. And <clears throat> I was doing the school run. As I think about that, Pastor, you can believe I'm still doing the school 
still doing the school run. I took one of our boys to school, primary school, and literally kind of was standing at the, in, went inside the gate, standing outside the classroom, waiting for the teacher to open the classroom. So there's a lot of parents outside as well as the children. Oh my gosh. Like, this school is a really good school, you know what I'm saying? And I've never ever seen any drama in the school. Now, it doesn't mean because it's a good school, there ain't going to be no drama, but it's not something that I was accustomed to. And literally, teacher opened the classroom, um, and, and, and all the kids went in. So I began to walk away, and as I'm walking away, all of a sudden, I hear some palaver right from where I was standing. So a couple of the parents hadn't dispersed, and there were two ladies. Well, to say that they were having a, 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 an argument would be an understatement. And um, it's funny because it got real bad real quick. I mean, I walked away and to the point where I could still hear what was going on. And by the, but from when I stepped away, everything was fine. To the point where I went about 10 paces, all like, it's like, oh my gosh, hell and powder house. <laughs> and it's funny because in one sense, I thought, what do I do? Do I get involved or do I just leave it? But you know, you only got split seconds to make these decisions. I decided, you know what, it's none of my business. Why am I going to go get push up my, 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 my nose and be pulled? And I thought, keep it moving. But then I hesitated and I thought, boy, but you know what? <laughs> One of the things that we talk about with reference to kind of just being a man is kind of standing up for injustice and intervening. You know, one of the things, one of the worst things is if something's going on on the train and everybody acts like they can't see it. You know what I'm saying? And um, it's, it takes courage to be able to, and I'm not encouraging anyone to always jump in because, but anyway, I stopped and I turned back. And then I don't, in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't even know what I'm going to do. But I walk back now like I'm going to try and somehow intervene, right? Which to some degree is our word, intercede in one sense. Now watch this. As I got there, I thought, okay, the best I can do is probably say to one of the sisters, say to one of the ladies, say to one of the, the, the women, the mothers, uh, look, come let's, come let's just go over and talk about this and hope that maybe somebody else would cut the, long, cut the long story short. I never got there in time to do that. When I actually arrived, the teacher had marched one of the parents off. Now, if I had interceded, if I had intervened in that situation, the best I could have done was just keep them apart. You know what I mean? But how many of you know, at a certain point, they would have to go in front of maybe the headmistress or the deputy head in order to have that issue mediated. That's not my place. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to help us to begin to at least appreciate, one, the distinction between intercession and mediation and um, coming back to, to intercession, um, why would there be need for an intercessor? I've already kind of painted the picture somewhat. Why would there be an... Oh, I forgot to wear my T-shirt today. <laughs> Stress. It seems like most of the men forgot to wear their T-shirts. We, we got T-shirts from the kids last week for Father's Day. Maybe next week. What was my question again? Why would there be need for an intercessor? See, I'm giving, trying to give you time because no one ever answered me. <laughs> okay, why would there be need? <laughs> I'm going to say, yeah, right. Yeah, you're right, bro. <laughs> why would there be a need for an intercessor? Well, rhetorically speaking, intercession is necessary because 
one or two opposing parties are offended or are offenders, right? This is why you need some sort of intercession intervention. Now, here's the definition of intercession. An intercessor is one that comes in between or one who breaches the gap. Now, you've got to see me doing that, right? But pretty much at that point, there's not much, much more I could have done with regards to the picture that I painted. Now, the fact that we can intercede is only because Jesus mediated. Without Jesus' work as mediator, we couldn't function as intercessors. So, let's leave our involvement personally in terms of intercession to one side, because that's going to be our third point this afternoon. Um, <clears throat> points one, two, and, 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 and then three go like this. So, intercession. Number one, Jesus is the ultimate heavenly intercessor. Two, the Holy Spirit is the ultimate earthly intercessor. And then number three, the church is the designated human intercessor. So number one, first of all, Jesus. You got. To, I mean, Jesus is always a good place to start and pretty much end anyway. Jesus, the ultimate heavenly intercessor. <clears throat> if you think about this, that is intercession in the context of God's relationship with man, right? Or should I say, think about this in the context of a holy God's relationship with sinful man, right? Can you already see the two opposing parties? Who is it that is able or even willing to stand in the gap between those opposing parties? God who is holy and sinful man. Who is willing, that's one thing, but then who is able I think to some degree, because because I'm a bit stronger and I'm a bit bigger, I probably could have kept those two opposing parties apart. You know what I'm saying? But it's one thing keeping the, par the parties apart. In one sense, that doesn't even need to be done because it's done. I suppose the issue more so is bringing the parties together. Now, before I get ahead of myself... Two opposing parties, God and sinful man. Do you remember where this, notice, this separation began? <laughs> Three chapters in, you know. The very beginning of the book. God makes an incredible world, and then he makes incredible humans. In his likeness, in his image. That's what makes them incredible. And, we've, and within moments, historically speaking, everything went peep tong, right? You know that's Cockney rhyming slang. What's apples and pears? Okay, what's bubble bath? Bubble. It's actually, all right. It's actually bubble bath. You're having a laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, brown bread. All right then. So within two and a half chapters into the beginning of the human race, everything now has gone peep tong, gone wrong. All right then. <laughs> <laughs> Say that again, bruv. String vest. String vest. What's that one? 
I'm not going to respond to that. Because <laughs> you know what I might end up saying. <laughs> nah, joking, brother. And notice, within two and a half chapters in, by the time you get to chapter, the end of, of, of Genesis chapter 3, mankind who were created in the image of God, walking with God, enjoying relationship with God, once in perfect relationship with God and are separated from God. And you've got these two opposing parties. And, and furthermore, humans are kicked out of the garden. And we call it the death of humanity, or we call it the fall, if you like. It's paradise lost. How's this relationship going to be restored? How would these two separated parties be restored to right relationship? Well, you need someone to stand where? In the gap. Now, before you're quick to point the finger at Adam and Eve, listen to the indictment in Isaiah 59. And this is actually to God's people. It says, Verse 1, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. Now, that's encouraging, especially when you're talking about opposing parties. You know what I'm saying? And again, not just, you know what I'm saying, brother fighting against brother or, you know what I'm saying, neighbor fighting against neighbor from hell, you know what I'm saying, or, or road rage. That's one thing. But the real big issue is this drama between God and humans, right? So surely the arm of the Lord is not too, too short to save. That's encouraging, isn't it? nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Oh, this is, this, is, this is the book of Isaiah. This is way after Genesis 3. Right? So this is not just the Adam and Eve. So your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hand, hear the reasons. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely. Your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. Now, like I said, this was levied at a particular group. Um, but can you see how guilt because of sin extends outside the garden? Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. Isaiah 59 goes on, saying, oh, oh it went on. <laughs> For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities. Rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. So justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Again, you can see these, this, 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 this picture of separation in, in no uncertain terms. And righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found and Whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. You see that? Whoever shuns evil, they become the prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. Verse 16, no. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled 
that there was no one to intervene. Now, you know what that word intervene is? That's our word in a session. In another translation in the ESV, it says, He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. So notice what happened. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. Now, we talk about it all the time. We said the whole Bible is about Jesus. Wow. Lord, help me. Notice. Drama, separation. It's not even God's fault. Like, I, I painted a picture where, like, when I listened to the two, like, women going through it in that argument, it, you, you, it's like, in my mind, it was six of one and a half dozen of the other. You know, it takes two to tangle. You know what I mean? And I was like, I don't know which one of them is right. Forevermore. Sounds like both of them are wrong. But when it comes to God and man and that separation, how many of you know it's not God's fault? You know what I mean? But there is still a need for intercession or intervention nonetheless. And look what God does. Basically, God just said, you know what? There ain't no one to do it. So God rolls up his sleeves. Wow. And he jumps into the gap. How many of you know that's good news? That's good. <laughs> if you understand sin and the repercussions thereof, you know what I'm saying? Wow. This is actually the fundamental message of the Bible. We're doomed. We need a rescuer. His name happens to be Jesus. And, it, and notice, I say Jesus. You're like, Robert, this is the Old Testament. It's all right. God's right-hand man, <laughs> Jesus, existed before he was born. That's one of the things that makes him unique. God's right-hand man, Jesus, currently is seated where? He's at the right hand of the Father. So is it unfair for me to say he's God's right-hand man? And <laughs> he's at the right hand of the Father, and he's fully God, but he's also fully man. I'm saying he's Jesus is God's right. Jesus, and notice, he's seated where? He's on a throne. So Jesus... God's right-hand man is God and man, and he's a king because he's seated on a throne, right? Yet, God's right-hand man stepped into the breach for us. Now, I can't hear you. That was a good place <laughs> for God's people to shout amen. Amen? Well, <laughs> you know what? I was at an African... Pentecostal conference yesterday, and maybe that's why I felt inclined to say that, but boy, and to be fair, I mean, we got a whole heap of Africans in here, and we got second and third, fourth, fifth generation Africans from the Caribbean in here. How come we're so staid? <laughs> what? Well, how comes we're so stoic? You just, it's against it? We've been here for a while, you know, oh my gosh, oh dear, Lord help us, isn't it? Lord help us. Um, I just, I just take it that you're listening, right? Amen. <laughs> the intercessor is the one who steps into the gap or comes in between. And in between who? Between sinful man who deserves just wrath and punishment and God who executes that justice. In that sense, Jesus is the ultimate intercessor. This is unique to him alone. 
God looked and he couldn't find anyone suited to this role. So he assumed the role himself and became a man. Hebrew says made lower, a little lower than the angels. Why? For the suffering of death. Because obviously God couldn't die, right? And the thing is, it's crazy when you get involved in people's drama like Jesus did. You know, many in, an individual has been injured and even murdered, right? Because they chose to intervene or to intercede. And it's exactly what happened to Jesus. <laughs> As he stepped into the gap between sinful man and a holy God. And remember I said these doctrines overlap. That's propitiation. Jesus stepping in the gap, in the breach for us. And I'm saying, as he received God's wrath on our behalf, and I'm saying, and at the same time, there's intercession going on. It's crazy. Apparently, there were over 400 um, fulfilled prophecies just when Jesus hung on the cross. And I'm saying there's a multiplicity of things happening and taking place at the same time. Someone said to me, did I watch... Is it Childish Gambino? So I'd heard about the guy. I don't know nothing about him whatsoever apart from his... didn't even know what he looked like. I think it was my brother said to me, Robert, have you, Rob, have you seen this video by Childish Gambino? And I was like, no. And he showed me the video. And he goes, you have to watch it about 15 times because there's so much things going on at the same time. You can't see all at the same time. Does that, does that concur with any? I don't even know. I did watch it the one time, but I just saw the blatant obvious stuff. But is it true there's lots of stuff that is layered? Okay. But in the same way, I'm saying that when, like when Jesus came to the earth, albeit for a short space of time, the amount of different prophecies that were fulfilled and the work that he did on the behalf of humankind, it's, um, it's, it's unprecedented. And it takes week after week. That's why we try to unpack the Bible on a Sunday. Yet, I mean, how many years has it been? We planted a church, 2003 Parson. So what, 15 years now? And it feels like we even scratched the surface as we're trying to unpack, you know what I'm saying, and, 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 and plumb the depths of God's word. To some degree, it's unfathomable. But we try nonetheless, and we're blessed by the little that we get, hopefully even today. So, Jesus paying the ultimate price. In, you can't reference this without talking about Isaiah 53. In verse 12, it says, Therefore, I will give him, if, if, if you're not aware of the Bible, um, Isaiah 53 is one of those kind of messianic portions of the Old Testament that at the time never really fully made sense to everyone. But in hindsight, especially as you look back at it through the, the lens of the cross, it makes so much sense, and it, and it evidently is pointing to none other than the Lord Jesus. It says in verse 12 of Isaiah 53, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Why? Because he, speaking of Jesus, poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. transgressors. Remember when he hung on a cross between two thieves? For he bore the sin of many and did what? And made intercession for the transgressors. So there's something about intercession that Jesus did as he stood in the gap 
when no one else could have. He was the only one qualified. But there's also another aspect to intercession, that is this standing in the gap. Notice, Jesus came down from where? I say down, as the metaphor goes. Where did he come down from? He came down, not trick question, he came down from heaven, right? Which we just described is where he was seated with the Father, right? He left his throne and he came to earth. But Jesus only came to earth for a designated period of time. How long was he here for? It was only here for 33 years. It's a short period of time. After which he did what? He went back to heaven, right? And assumed his rightful seat on his throne, right? Which is where he's been sitting for how long? Historically speaking. Roughly speaking. Help me now. Come on now. Thank you, Harry. 2,000 years odd. Doing what? Thank you. Interceding for 2,000 years. Now, imagine, in contrast to all that he did in 33 years, for 2,000 years, one of the things that the Lord Jesus has been doing is interceding. But in a different way to that which I've just described. So Romans 8 now says, it's a bit small. I'm not sure if you can see it, but I'm going to read it for you. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, that is those that Jesus has intervened and interceded on the behalf of, standing in the gap and paying the penalty for their sins, right? How, how do we respond to this? If God for those is for them. If God is for us, if you can say, I've put my trust in him who stood in the gap for me, although I deserve nothing other than God's judgment. If God is for us, for you, for me, who can be against us? Like this is talking about the, the, the extent to his propitiation, the extent, you know what I'm saying, of his intervention on the behalf of sinners. Notice, he who did not spare his own son, speaking of the, speaking of the father, right, but gave him, Jesus, up for us all, right? He gave him up. Will he not, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies again. To some degree, we're talking about intercession, but can you see how justification overlaps at the end of verse 33? Now watch verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? What does that speak of? What was the first one that we did? Begins with J. Thank you. Justification. Who is the one who condemns if you've been justified? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life is where? We just said it a little while ago, but right there, you can see it in the Bible, right? He, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, and he's doing what? 2,000 years, that's what he's been doing as he's been seated, if you like, on his throne. Verse 35, who shall, oh, look at that word. I, was, I never had time to highlight it, so I could have made it kind of pop for you. But verse 35, you see the separation and how he bridges the gap? Verse 30, who shall separate us? But, we, but, but, but Pastor Rob, you know what I'm saying? Like that separation that originally took place, but I didn't think anybody could breach that gap. And that's, the, that's how we should respond to that, really, because 
the extent to which God, God went, not just to provide uh, reconciliation, but the fact that he would even do it in the first place, apart from the work that he put in for our benefit. So then, if God has then done that, that must be some kind of sure work that he does. Meaning, who can... It's like two people get married. When they get married, you're not supposed to separate. But we know that it happens, right? But marriage is supposed to be a picture of God's relationship with his people. That's why God hates divorce. Because every time a marriage breaks down, what it does is it, it paints a picture... It paints a, a, an opposite picture to the picture that it was supposed to paint. And it's tragic. But where sometimes there is a separation or a divorce in marriage, how many of you know, if you're married to Christ, genuinely, there ain't going to be no separation. And that's supposed to give you hope and confidence and encouragement. You know what I'm saying? God promises, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And here... Again, in, 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 in different terms. Who shall separate us now that we've been... Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship? And sometimes you'll be like, yeah, but Pastor, we really don't know what I'm going through right now. Right now, I feel like... I don't feel like me and God are one. And that might be because of what someone has done to you. It might be because of something that you've done to someone. It might, nobody may, may even be involved. It might just be you one in your sinfulness. And you feel like, boy, you know what? Ten years ago, I can see how God would have chosen me. Oh, boy, I was kind of on it. But since then, my life has fallen apart. And I'm not what I used to be. And I'm struggling to believe that God would still love me. I tell you, man. Like sanctification is something. Somebody said that sanctification is just a better understanding of justification. It's like when you understand that God has justified you, Romans 8 says, if God has justified you, God is going to sanctify <laughs> God is going to sanctify you. We don't need to do that. Pastor Ty um, Tayo done that for a couple of weeks ago. But if God has justified you, God will sanctify you, so brace yourself. But he will also justify you. You know what I'm saying? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And this is, again, one of the wonders of salvation. Now, let me try and get back to my point. Verse 36 goes on, as it is written. So nothing can separate us from the love of God, right? Those who have been brought back into right relationship with God on the basis of Jesus interceding, Jesus intervening. For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved, who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons. Now, these are big extremes that he's painting. You know what I'm saying? Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or any Anything else in all creation, seen and unseen, will be able to what? Separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord based on his interceding, his intervention. Jesus originally brings us to God, but then Jesus also keeps us near God. 
Hebrews 7 says. On the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, referring to the old covenant. Right, We're in a new covenant. The old covenant, remember, was made in the blood of bulls and goats. It was based on the blood of animals. The new covenant is based on the blood of a very significant human being slash God man. A new covenant. And the new covenant is what based on Hebrews? One word begins with B. How does the old, how does the new covenant compare to the old covenant based on the, the book of Hebrews? It mentions it about 11 times. Begins with B. How does the new compare to the old? I want the old because the new is better. <laughs> better. Verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better, there's one of the references in Hebrews, a better hope is introduced, notice, through which we draw near to God. The separation has been, the, the, the breach has been repaired. Verse 20, and it was not without an oath. Wow. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath. He's significant. He's not just a priest. He's not just a high priest. He's the great high priest. By the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, speaking of Jesus, the son, are a priest forever. And is it all after the order of Aaron? <laughs> we were doing this at school last week, so I'm full of this Jesus and the priest. Thank you. It's not after the order of Aaron. It's after the order of Melchizedek, who, who had no mother, no father. He had no beginning of life, no end of life. The Bible says he was king of righteousness. Notice, it doesn't say he's a righteous king. He's king of righteousness. Listen. And he's king of peace. Jeez. This makes verse 22, Jesus, the guarantor of a better, there it is again, covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God, draw near to God because the breach now has been repaired. Who draw near to God now through him. Since he always lives to make what? Intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins. Imagine, in the old covenant, every time you sin, you have to offer up an animal sacrifice. What? Um, and it, I hesitated from saying, that's long. But that was the prescribed manner. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I mean, just on that point alone, you can see how the new covenant is better. You have to just confess your sins to God, knowing that the, 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 the lamb has been slain on your behalf. He has no need like those, other, those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins, because he never had any, and then Jesus, and then for those, who, for, for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Also, this is significant because it, <clears throat> it identifies Jesus, I mentioned it, not just as king, evidently because he sits on a throne, 
but also can you see he's the ultimate servant it's crazy it's too like i said it's too it's like inception too many layers i remember i watched that film i was at the end of the film i was like what was that all about i was lost too many layers you know what i mean but look, Jesus, he's, imagine he's the king and he's a priest. I mean, just them two things. But then also he's, 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 the, he's the one who stands in the gap. And I'm saying Jesus also is now a servant. It's like, it's too much. And as a servant, he was willing, the ultimate servant, willing to lay down his life, stepping into the gap for us. But he's also a priest who currently stands, present tense, between us and God. And even as believers who are restored, how many of you know we still sin, right? And that poses a problem. But not an ultimate problem in that you're ultimately separated from God. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus intercedes as a priest continually. That's how he's king, servant, and priest. He's the ultimate heavenly intercessor. <clears throat> now, here's a hard question to answer. Have you, have you been separated from God because of your sin? Facing God's judgment. That's harsh, but can I say Jesus is the answer? Have you been forgiven of your sin and been brought near to God, but continually fall into sin? And in need now, not of salvation in, the, in terms of justification, but cleansing. Well, Jesus is <laughs> the answer. Jesus is the yes and amen, right? Amen. See, and because of Jesus as believers, we can now approach God with a humble confidence. Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed, notice, through the heaven. He came from heaven, and then he went back to heaven. He's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. He's faithful. And I'm saying we need to trust in his faithfulness. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we can draw near to God Although once we were separated because of the breach, we've been brought near, and we can draw nearer, if you like, to God with confidence. Hopefully somebody might find that comforting in spite of our sin. First John 2 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us cleanses us from all sin and if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness first john 2 says my little children i'm writing these things to you that you may not sin but if anyone does sin we have an advocate and that's our word interceder in a cessar in a seed with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. How many of us can attest to the comfort that those verses brings? And you will only concur with this, that is, 
admit and agree and say amen to this if you're aware of your weakness. The ignorant don't see a need to repent. And the arrogant don't see a need to repent. And as we're seeing in this doctrine series, this is just one of the wonderful things that God provides for the believer. So, okay, number one took us a long time. It was about Jesus, so I felt it was important to spend time on that. Not that the second two aren't important. Um, <clears throat> so Jesus is the ultimate heavenly intercessor. Okay, here's another comforter that God provides for the believer. Notice, whilst Jesus is where? In heaven, we have another comforter where? On earth, since Jesus left. And Jesus has been interceding at the right hand of the Father for 2,000 years. Who has been here on earth for 2,000 years, comforting God's people since Jesus left? So our second point is the Holy Spirit, who's the ultimate earthly intercessor. Here's another comfort that God provides for the believer whilst Jesus is in heaven. We have a comforter on earth. In John 14, <clears throat> and this is when Jesus was about to leave the disciples, right? Because he'd been with them for three and a half years or so. It says, and Jesus said to them, and I will pray the Father. And he shall give you, notice, another comforter or another advocate or another helper that he may abide with you forever. I'm leaving you, but I'm not going to leave you on your own. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, well, what does the Holy Spirit do? How does his earthly presence replace, as it were, Jesus's? How does he, how does he help? How does he comfort? Romans 8, verse 26 says, through 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And again, like I said, if you don't admit that you need a helper, you need an advocate, you need someone to intervene, it's because you're either ignorant of that or we're arrogant. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. How many of you can say amen to that one? But the Spirit, thankfully, himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he, verse 27, who searches hearts, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Wow. Have you ever been in a place where you're weak? Let me try and consolidate this. <clears throat> yeah? Amen? Anybody? I got, I, got, I got both hands up. I mean, weakness. Wow. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn, let alone what to pray. Now, is this possibly a reference to speaking in tongues? I'm not sure. You know what I'm saying? But I am sure. Although I'm not sure. I'm not sure that this is a reference to being enabled by the Spirit to speak a language unknown to the believer. But I am sure that it's a reference to the Holy Spirit communicating with God somehow on the behalf of the believer. Now, whether it's, like I said, whether it's through the believer, you know what I'm saying, or otherwise, the message gets to the Father who then acts on behalf of the saints. And it could be a reference to the believer praying 
And in that groaning, because it makes reference to that, and I remember in my, in my previous Christian environment, like I was taught, yeah, this is, this is praying in tongues. Like, like I said, I'm not sure that that's what that means. You know what I mean? But I am sure that, it's, that the Holy Spirit is working here on the behalf of the saints. Again, how it practically work out, works out. And in Jude, in verse 20, you know, there's only one chapter in Jude, talks about praying in the Holy Spirit. And I don't know, could it be, you ever been in a place where you're like, Father, you're like, remember, we're talking about weakness at this point. Father, would you save my prodigal child? They're running up and down, they're killing themselves. Lord, would you say, like, Lord. And there's a groaning. Father, would you remove the pain of losing a parent? Now, if you ain't lost a parent, then maybe you don't know the groaning. But it's words that you can't even communicate or utter. Father, would you please heal my marriage? Like, we've got loads of newlyweds, you know what I'm saying? And you're like, God forbid, like, I wouldn't, I don't even, like, I don't even want like, them false confessions over my life, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, but, you know what I'm saying? That's a place, that's a real place where some people find themselves, and what do you pray? What do you say? Like, only you know the pain of that. Like, Jason shared with us last week the pain that he endured. And at that point, all you can do is groan. What kind of prayer do you articulate when your spouse leaves you for somebody else? You know that kind of pain? Like deep calling unto deep, like groaning. There are no words. Like I said, I'm not sure. But what is sure here is, although believers are mentioned, the emphasis of these verses is on the Holy Spirit and his role as an intercessor. And notice, the Holy Spirit does so, that is, intercedes on the behalf of the saints perfectly. Perfectly interceding on the behalf of the believer according to the perfect will of God, unlike us. Especially in our weakness, he, the Holy Spirit, prays perfectly. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate earthly intercessor. Whilst Jesus is in heaven, the Holy Spirit is interceding in heaven. The Holy Spirit is interceding. Like, like, like the Lord has, like God has got our back on a different level. Now, but, but guess, but Jesus, the Holy Spirit, but guess who else is responsible for intercession on earth? And we're going to wrap up with this. <coughs> Number three, the church, the designated human intercessor. So if praying in tongues, like I mentioned, in an unknown language to the person isn't completely clear. I mean, I think I heard Jay last week, isn't it, isn't it? Jay said last week, he don't pray in tongues. And he said, does that mean I don't have the Holy Spirit? And no one dare answer him. <laughs> don't say that in a Pentecostal church, bro. They gun you down and tell you straight, no, you ain't saved. You ain't got the Holy Spirit. But um, that's not true. You know what I'm saying? We wouldn't argue that. Um, but. If praying in an unknown language isn't completely clear, <clears throat> although I do believe there's some sort of argument for that, I would say that. Um, Paul says not everyone speaks in tongues. You, you get the impression that some do. He says he himself prayed in tongues more than anybody else. Um, <clears throat> it's not completely clear. But listen to First Timothy, because 
Praying in an unknown language may be unclear, but praying in a known language is very clear. 1 Timothy 2 says, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, we don't have time to tackle all of these verses, um, but just some things, particularly as they relate to our topic. Like, so questions like, if God desires all people to be saved, he's God, why doesn't he just save everybody? I ain't trying to answer that question right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but we can say that salvation of those who are rescued is somewhat contributed to by the prayers of the saints. Is that fair? God does rescue sinners, partly due to Christians praying. We, like I said, I mean, Jay, we heard Jason's testimony last week about his mom praying for him, even through the times when he was on our madness. Man chatting about he'd done some things, man, you said, man, kidnap him, put him in the boot of a car, drive him to Scotland. Like, rah. Like, you imagine your mum and you see that going on with your son. Like, so I mean, I, mean, the, I wasn't at the, the conference yesterday here because I told you I was somewhere else. But, you know what I'm saying? It's peak for parents out here. Sorry, Yele, Josephine. It's peak. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? For, for, you, for, for us as parents, thank God for, the, for conferences like yesterday and for the village, you know what I'm saying, that helps and supports the raising of our, of our children. You know what I'm saying? But, most of us in here are saved because of the contribution of our, of, our, of our parents, sad to say, particularly our mothers or grandmothers. Same was true for, for, for Timothy. Remember his mother Lois and grandmother Eunice. Hey, nothing ain't changed, right? <laughs> now, I'm, my mom prayed for me before I became a Christian in my years of wiling out and madness. And I'm convinced it contributed to my salvation. And she prays presently. I nearly called her this morning just so I could say I called her. And she said, Robbie, I'm going to pray for you this morning. Because I, I, I don't know. I don't know. All hell's going to break loose. When my mom passes away, probably all hell's going to break loose in my life. Because <laughs> she prays for me every day. I said I'm trying to wrap up, right? This gentleman, his name is Harry Hanks. Harry, as you can see in the background there, used to come to the post office when I worked as a postman, I was a postman for 17 years, and um, me and Pastor E doing ministry, you know, like both of us working. At one point, I think Pastor E had like three jobs, and I was doing double shifts, you know, like 18 hours, and still the Lord is helping us to do ministry. Can't, oh, no excuses, but oh, you know, I'm busy, or I'm tied up, and oh, I've got little children, and nah, sir, nah, it's no excuse. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to be, you know what I'm saying, like John Piper in terms of ministry. You know what I mean? Obviously, we've all got different gifts and we're all in different places. But, sidebar. 1988, this gentleman, Harry Hanks, worked for the London City Mission. Now, for anyone who's at London City Mission, you see how the missionaries used to have to dress? Boy, it's black and white as well. It seems like it's really old, isn't it? Boy. So, I was 21. Helen was the same age. I'm not trying to expose her age and all that, but... Harry shared the gospel with me and Helen. You know what I'm saying? And why is this significant? <clears throat> Here's Harry with his wife, Doreen. This was years later 
he, he, he had ceased to be a missionary full time and he was retired. And Helen and myself had the privilege to go and visit him and his wife. And we went to see him. And um, this gentleman is like literally a gentle man. He's about six foot, he was about six foot two. Um, massive hands, he was an ex-builder, but such a gentle giant. And he shared the gospel with Helen first of all, and then with me. There's me trying to take a selfie, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm not a millennial, innit, boy. And, um, but why do I tell this story? Harry had a book, and in that book, he had the names of every single person he shared the gospel with. And he went to every post office in southwest London. And you can see all the names. And look at this. In that book, he had my name, and he's got Helen's. And so you can see in the middle with a black X. Now, normally X, I suppose X marks the spot. It's not normally always a good thing, but um, you can see Helen's name on the other side of my name. And in, in between, <laughs> like intercession, you can see PTL, stands for Praise the Lord. That's when Helen and myself were converted. Isn't it? It's a beautiful story. And I think maybe some of you guys who work for LCM may have got a revelation there on keeping a prayer book. You know what I'm saying? But I say that because I'm convinced, you know what I'm saying, that Harry's prayers for us. You know, when Harry first started speaking to my wife, she was like, Harry, like, like Jesus. She says, I smoke drugs, I have sex, and I get drunk. Like, Jesus ain't going to want nothing to do with me. But he prayed for her, and he prayed for me. And I'm convinced he, turned, he came to our baptism, and he was able to pray for us at our baptism. I'm saying, now, 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 I know that's anecdotal, right? But, you know, we have God's promise here in verse 4. Let me just go back to it because I'm finished now. And I'm saying, verse 4, notice, look, verse 3, this is good, what? Praying, supplicating, interceding, and giving thanks for all people, from kings, those in high positions, right down to those in low positions. Why, verse 3, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Notice, God, the one who rolled up his sleeves and then came and saved us, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why would he encourage us to pray when he has that desire if he ain't going to save people through the agency somewhat of our prayers? I'm going to invite the team to come and join me. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.